The Rock proposes a match called Last Man Standing, which means there are no pinfalls, there are no submissions, and it also means that if you thought The Rock was rough on your candy ass in the I Quit match, let alone yesterday's heat match, then come St. Valentine's Day Massacre, The Rock will proceed to bash your living brains in like you ain't never felt before. McMahon again with kicks to the midsection. Austin with an elbow. McMahon is holding on by one hand. Come on, Mr. McMahon! The safest place for McMahon is in the cage. cage. Forehead into the cage. Oh my God! He's gotta be 20 feet off the floor. Yeah. No! No! Mr. McMahon! He may be dead! Wait a minute! My God! King! My God! King! That's King! That's Paul White! Yes! That's Paul White! King! He's huge! Look at that! He's helped Mr. McMahon to his feet! Paul White is here! This guy's gotta be over seven feet tall! He's colossal! Look! You knew the boss had to have something up his sleeve. I knew it. You didn't know it. Stone Cold waited too long. You didn't believe in the boss. He hates Austin so bad. Look at this. McMahon wants Austin to suffer what he suffered in this match. Austin is going to learn you don't cross the boss. Look at and the get swing. away with it. Austin manhandled. Austin oh. into the cage. The cage gave way! Austin's down! Austin's out of the cage! Austin's out of the cage! Austin's out of the cage! The Rock is on top of the ladder! The Rock has the championship belt! The Rock is going to WrestleMania as champion! He's got it! Badly, huh? I mean, you're not afraid to open it, are you? Let's see what's in this mysterious. I'm afraid to open this. What? Well, what is it? What is it? What what's is the matter? It? Man, what's the matter? King, it's a, it's a, it's a teddy bear.
Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, where we're going back in the time machine to February of 1999 for this month's WWF edition of the show. Before we get started and I introduce our guest, first off, I must apologise for the delay on this show, which is entirely down to me and my other commitments. Um, but I think what two guests we have for you on this episode will more than make up for it. Uh, firstly, we have our esteemed leader joining us, Rory McNamara. Rory, how are we doing? Very well. Good evening, all. And, of course, we have with him Eric Landstrom. Eric, good to have you on, as always. Chris, happy to be here. Excellent stuff. Um, so, uh, Rory, would you kind of take, kindly take us through all our Federation news for the month? Um, Eric, do you have some headlines for us? Yes, sir, I do. And let's start with, I'm going to sing here, Love is in the air, and so is Vince McMahon. Yeah, you sang it too. See, when I queue up Lacey to sing, he doesn't do it, but I knew you wouldn't let me down there, Eric. Yes, Vince McMahon was very much in the air, crushing through a table at very great height during the main events of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre pay-per-view, which will, of course, break down for you a little bit later on. Long-awaited match against Steve Austin, which Austin did win, thanks to some interference from one Mr. Paul White, is a name you may or may not recognise. The match itself only lasted seven minutes, but there was a good, good brawl, including Vince's insane bump for 15 minutes before that. Uh, also on the show, uh, Mankind versus The Rock ended in a draw in a last man standing match. Make of that what you will. We will make of it what we do a bit later on, which takes us into, Eric? WrestleMania lineup news. Yes, indeed. So, Steve Austin, when, by defeating Vince McMahon, did indeed confirm his position as the number one contender for the World Wrestling Federation title at WrestleMania next month, where he will be facing The Rock who defeated Mankind in a ladder match for the world title the next night on Raw. Also, apparently, we will have Undertaker versus Big Boss Man in a Hell in a Cell match, Val Venus versus Ken Shamrock versus Billy Gunn in a triangle match, Road Dogg versus Bob Holly for the hardcore title, X-Pac versus Shane McMahon, and Kane versus Triple H. At the moment, it is possible that we could be getting a return for the Brawl for All, because we all loved it so much last time. Bart Gunn being brought out of mothballs, possibly to face Butterbean, but as yet they have not come to an agreement. Another potential match, and what I'm really looking forward to, Public Enemy versus The Brood. Shawn Michaels has left the building. It appears so. In an interview with the San Antonio Free Press this month, he said this, when you see an x-ray with four bolts in your back and a titanium plate, and after going through surgery and how long that took, it makes it easier to listen to the doctors. He is saying he will never wrestle another match. I'm very lucky to have accomplished all the things I wanted to accomplish. There was nothing out there to make me second guess. The circumstances were, if you get back in the ring, you could do really significant damage to yourself and affect the rest of your life. So in that instant, it was an easy decision to make. It should be said, the WWF have not themselves actually confirmed this, but do they really want to argue with Michaels? It looks like he might finally, finally be done. And if so... That's a right shame. Most people have the wrong impression about the World Wrestling Federation. We're a non-violent form of entertainment. We never use sex to enhance our image. As athletes, we understand the importance of being positive role models. We're good at wholesome family entertainment. We're trying to make the world a better place for mankind. WWF Attitude. Get it? Mainstream media backlash for WWF programming. Also, water is wet. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, the WWF are ready yet again for a barrage of forthcoming media attacks. 
just before we just before we went to press ourselves, programs aired by the names of Inside Edition and Outside the Lines, both of which on ESPN. And this has come from a story which broke a couple of weeks ago, where a school in Winnipeg banned wrestling shirts, banned wrestling magazines, and this is quite brilliant. They banned the students from, and I quote, making WWF gestures. <laughs> Not too sure what they could actually be. Uh, the February 22nd edition of the New York Post featured a column by our old friend Phil Mushnick. Yes, you can guess what that says. But there was also a study carried out by Indiana University's Department of Telecommunications. Say that fast five times, which I will break down for you now. The study tracked 50 episodes of Raw through February the 1st, which I can only assume is actually February the 1st, 1998, judging by these numbers. But then maybe not. These researchers counted wrestlers grabbing their crotches no fewer than 1,658 times. The phrase suck it used by wrestlers or appearing on fan signs 434 times. Wrestlers and audience members holding up their middle fingers 157 times. That does include styrofoam fingers, by the way. Simulated sexual activity 128 times. Simulated drug use 42 times. Simulated or references to urinating 21 times. And my personal favourite, 20 occasions of characters appearing as prostitutes. <laughs> Again, fill in the gaps. ESPN's piece is still very much in the works. We don't have a full air date for that one yet. Uh, it was supposed to be February the 24th, but we haven't seen it. But WWF is said to be taking the media attack seriously and is concerned with possible repercussions. So indeed, what else is new? There's another stat here. Zero main events ending in a clean finish. <laughs> uh, oh, um, this looks familiar. Uh, something, something, sunny pun. <laughs> I thought you might recognize that one, Eric. Yes, check out our ECW show if you haven't already for a bit more on that one. But an interview with our friend Tammy Lynn Sitch for the Charleston Post and Courier. I'll just quote it verbatim. There's no point breaking it down. Sable wouldn't know her ass from a hole in the ground inside the ring. And it is a pity that Vince is so infatuated, as she put it, with TNA that he would push a has-been stripper as a superior wrestler than the likes of Luna. She was then asked if she would ever come back to the WWF. As far as I'm concerned, if Vince ever asked me back, which I wouldn't accept unless he paid me an absurd amount of cash and programmed me against the so-called women's champ, I would have no choice but to shoot and put her in her place like she and the company should have done a long time ago. Believe me when I tell you, I can beat the crap out of a lot of men. Well, Sonny, keep taking them. In fact, no, maybe don't. And just for our listeners' context, listen to the November 1998 ECW volume to hear a review of Sonny's wrestling ability and our February 1999 ECW uh, special uh, edition uh, dealing with uh, Sonny's uh, current legal problems to provide a little bit of context for these uh, statements. But stop press. There is something Mick Foley will not do. And I quote directly yet again. He has been working or had been working on taking a backdrop on the back of his head, but he decided he couldn't do it and he doesn't want any more injuries to his head. I'll just leave that one hanging in the wind. But I've mainly put this one in the news for a fun game of word association he played uh, on TSN's Off the Record a couple of weeks ago. He was asked about Eric Bischoff and responded, great hair, great cheekbones. Terry Funk, he's my mentor and I believe the greatest wrestler of all time. He said correctly, Jim Ross, the best broadcaster of all time, and without him, I'd probably still be in Japan. Ric Flair, I thought this one was interesting. I love some of his matches. I'm not so sure I love the guy. Hulk Hogan, I used to pay to see him, so anything I say negative would be hypocritical. Paulie Dangerously, he's a genius, but he looks bad for 33. <laughs> Might be something in that. <laughs> 
I have nothing but respect for The Undertaker, one of my favourite wrestlers, and how else can we finish but with his views on Vince McMahon. I like Vince a lot. I see him out there. I saw him after the Rumble and he looked like a little kid. He did not look like a 53-year-old man. Some days he looks 20 years younger than he actually is. Thank you very much, Rory. Uh, excellently guided through the news segment, as always. Eric, um, out of all those stories, we've got a lot to go through there. Um, what would you say is sort of the biggest news for the WWF? Obviously, we've got what seems like the retirement of Michaels, but we've also, which is maybe a detriment to the top of the card, but maybe bigger fish to fry in terms of the media backlash and things like that. I don't know. At this point, how, what what could be reported or what statistics could be cited or what what negative publicity could come out that hasn't already come out that would have any sort of substantive impact on on the growth that the WWF is having it's i just i think that the direction they've gone is kind of symbolic of them putting their middle fingers up at TV critics, media critics, parental groups, go back and watch superstars from like 1992 and then compare it to what's on your screen now. And something's fundamentally changed. And it's not just what's on the screen. It's like this company's mentality towards how to make a buck and how to be competitive in the contemporary market. So I, I'm sure it's going to, we're going to see these backlashes and I'm sure we might see some tweaks here and there temporarily on WWF programming just to stave off the worst types of things. But I can't imagine that any sort of reporting uh, like this is going to have them change course. When when viewership starts going down, it'll be for reasons other than you know per TV guides and parental groups saying that what's on television isn't family friendly because no shit. Rory, anything to add on the mainstream media coverage of the WWF or any of our other news stories? Yeah, I should just add Vince McMahon was interviewed as he seems to be every day. <laughs> every day as we're going ahead he was asked specifically about the middle finger use in particular and he said no it isn't appropriate for children and that was his answer and there you go it's it's the same debate we've had on these shows ever since Phil Mushnick first reared his ugly head back in October 1997 for us now, the WWF you know, they're not ersatz parents they're not moral guardians they are an entertainment company who now broadcast the vast majority of their weekly programming on a Monday night. <laughs> Not that I'm defending some of the things they've done. There's plenty I'll be tearing apart as we go through this show for the next two hours. But I just think this is going to be water off a duck's back for this one. So they're making preparations. They know exactly what they're going to say. If this, if this sort of thing, the reaction to their current product was going to sink them, it would have done it by now, yeah? So this is, they're still going to get these brickbats for months on end as long as they keep going in this particular direction, but I just don't think they care anymore, quite frankly. And as for Michaels, again, I did try to get some confirmation from the World Wrestling Federation themselves. I've done through the sheets. I couldn't see anything that said they have agreed that Michaels' career is done, but judging by the finality of his comments and obviously what we know about what happened to his back nearly a year ago, it does seem... It does seem like it could be the end, so um, I sincerely hope not. I'm, I'm sure he's still going to stick around. He's still the commissioner in storyline, I believe, but if this is how it's going to end with Michaels you know, in kayfabe terms in the ring, you know, lying down at WrestleMania 14 with a Austin 316 shirt draped over his head, 
not the way I would ideally have wanted him to go out. Yeah, on the uh, media coverage, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's ratings and, and money talks. Like, go back a couple of years to before the product was quite this non-PG. Um, like, if I, I'm sure that if Vincent and the people running the Fed believed that they could maintain this level of ratings and attendance and just general uh buzz about the product while being completely child friendly then yeah they'd do that but they were in trouble a couple of years ago and they turned to sort of this method of booking uh this level of adult content and inappropriate for children um and it turned the fortunes around and they had a fantastic year last year they've had a good start to the year financially they've got a lot of over top guys compared to the not too recent uh, not too distant past sorry um i don't know what the incentive is as you say because what as you say eric what more could come out press wise that hasn't come out like a, a, a parent a parental group put in some warnings out there i mean that this is as popular as they've ever been um and until there's an, a financial incentive or the ratings indicate change is needed. Why? Why would they go back on it? Um, so it's a big story, but probably one of very little consequence for the Fed as things stand. I think Vince relishes it. I mean, I think I've said on this show before. When it comes to media coverage, he is definitely from the "Don't read it, weigh it" school. So he's going to love all this. You do dress like a million bucks. You do make millions of bucks. Why well, even look pretty damn good too? But it is my humble opinion that you are, without a doubt, the biggest horse's ass. What? What? In sports entertainment today. He can't say that to The Rock. He just did. Now, Rock, I will admit, you have given mankind some of the damnedest matches I've ever had. So you want a rematch, Rock? All you've got to do is ask. Now you make your little challenges and The Rock accepted. The Rock has a little challenge of his own. In about two short weeks, Sunday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, The Rock proposes a match called last man standing which means there are no pinfalls there are no submissions and it also means that if you thought the rock was rough on your candy ass in the i quit match let alone yesterday's heat match then come saint valentine's day massacre the rock will proceed to bash your living brains in like you ain't never felt before. Ooh. Now, if you've got enough testicular fortitude, then you'll go ahead and accept the Rock's challenge. You want a last man standing match with mankind? You have got a deal. 
Speaking of television and, well, Monday Night Raw, we have two editions of Raw to get through before we get to the pay-per-view for the month, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. First Raw of the month from the 1st of February. Uh, it sets up very nicely our WWF title match at this month's pay-per-view. On the show, Mankind came out basking in his win of the WWF title during halftime heat the night prior. He is interrupted quickly by The Rock, who doesn't like Mankind running his mouth. Rocky brags about his clothes and his money and how good he looks. And Mankind says that while The Rock does look like a million bucks, he's the biggest horse's ass in sports entertainment. All The Rock has to do is ask, and Mankind says he will give him a rematch. The Rock proposes a last man standing match, which is the first in WWF history, and he promises to bash Mankind's brains in, which after the rumble, I believe. Mankind agrees to this, and the segment ends with Rock saying he's the best damn WWF champ there ever was. Uh, Eric, what did you make of this segment, but sort of more overall rather than the segment itself? Uh, with the without the benefit of hindsight, what do you make of this last man standing stipulation for the title match at the pay-per-view? To me, this was the first time in, in wrestling where a heel had things gone as I thought. This would have been the first time in wrestling that a heel proposed a last man standing match. And then by the time we got to the pay-per-view, realized that there wasn't some big swerve or shenanigans that was going to occur. Because a last man standing match is not a match that a heel proposes. It's a match that a babyface proposes or a match that, a, that an authority figure imposes on on two guys to settle a few to be that last thing. So yeah, I was, I was waiting for what, what this was going to lead to uh, when it was the rock who proposed it. Mankind said yes. And it's like, okay, well, you know, we have the fighting dumb baby face champion and mankind who just wants to be the fighting, uh, the, the warrior champion and the rock who would obviously outsmart mankind to get the belt back. I thought that's where we were going and it didn't really result that way at the pay-per-view. Rory, what do you make of this last man standing stipulation, first in company history? Yeah, again, just The Rock himself making the challenge. I thought that was, that did seem a little bit off to me. Again, we always talk about it, the heel should think he's right. That doesn't always mean that he necessarily is right. But when he's saying that he would have won if it wasn't for that forklift truck at halftime heat, then yeah, you can't actually dispute that. That's probably exactly how it would have been in kayfabe terms you know i did like some of the lines about rock wanting his money back and mankind saying he's down to 72 grand and all that that was funny you know looks like a million bucks dresses like it too but the biggest horse is ass in sports entertainment there were some good lines are going back but i do really think that foley should have laid down the challenge it does make foley look like again a bit of a lucky underdog champion which i again i know he is but if you make that his character, it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in the eyes of the fans, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the stipulation itself, I enjoy it. Like, this this feud's been going on a good while now and uh, had plenty of matches with different stipulations. So Last Man Standing has, a, a in, on paper at, at least, obviously, the pay-per-view had something else to say for itself, but um, on paper, it seems like the stipulation that brings some sort of finality to a feud and a rivalry, but um, that wasn't the case. Uh, you obviously both bang on the money as usual with the way, uh, the sort of the dynamic of Rock throwing down the gauntlet to mankind. The only saving grace I would say, I mean, it doesn't save it entirely, but that before Rock made the challenge, mankind 
did say like sort of anytime anywhere all you have to do is ask you get your rematch kind of thing true so he did make that initial step but in terms of specifying sort of the stipulation and whatnot that did all come from the rock as you both say so uh yeah slightly odd dynamic but to me as a fan i'm excited but i would be excited about this stipulation excited about the match at the uh pay-per-view because these two often have really really entertaining matches even if they're not typical wrestling uh well masterclasses in 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 the traditional sense but as uh, entertainment value they they have an enormous worth to the product The first Raw of the month opens with footage of Mankind defeating The Rock for the WWF title during Halftime Heat, which we talked about last month. Shane is out with the corporation. Shane tells us Vince is in Texas to try to provoke Austin into a physical confrontation. We see DX and the corporation brought backstage as a cage is lowered around Shane. X-Pac attacks him until China makes the save. Vince is shown in a bar in Texas with the Stooges, decked out in typical rancher attire. Vince offends the barmaid and she forces them to leave by brandishing a weapon. In our opening match, Val Venus defeated Billy Gunn via DQ when Ken Shamrock interfered. Venus mistakenly thinks Billy hit him with a chair, so lays Gunn out with a chair and leaves. Mankind is backstage and he purchases Max Mini, which I thought was prohibited by the 13th Amendment. Rock calls Vince to complain Mankind stole his bounty. He tells Vince he is going to take matters into his own hands. The big boss man defeated D'Lo Brown with the boss man slam. Boss man continues the beating with a nightstick after the match until Mark Henry makes the save. The Blue Meanie comes out but is attacked by Goldust, while in Texas Vince tells the Stooges he has found Austin. Droz defeats Kurgan with a flying shoulder block in less than two minutes. The Brood defeat Midian, Viscera and The Undertaker by DQ when Farouk and Bradshaw interfere. Undertaker, who was watched on by the entrance for the whole match, watches the Ministry attack Gangrel after the match. Vince and the Stooges walk up to a bold man in an Austin shirt and Vince tries to provoke him. It is of course not Austin, but the man in question does have a shotgun. In a hardcore tag team match, the Acolytes defeat Road Dog and Al Snow after Bradshaw pinned the Road Dog following a powerbomb through a table. Three druids came to the ring to beat down Road Dog after the match, and they are masked to reveal themselves as the Brood. Vince and the Stooges finally find Austin. Despite attempted provocation, Austin keeps his cool and says he will wait for St. Valentine's Day Massacre. In our main event, Triple H defeated Kane in a steel cage match that went over 12 minutes. X-Pac prevented Kane from escaping during the match and China tried to do the same to Hunter. China says DX can gloat now as they won't be at the pay-per-view. We start the go-home show on a Saturday night edition of Raw with Austin coming out to a huge pop. He says he can't wait for tomorrow night where he is going to get his hands on McMahon, walk over his body and head straight to WrestleMania. Austin guarantees bloodshed which brings out Mankind. They go back and forth on the mic until the corporation interrupt. Rocky gives Mankind directions to the Smackdown Hotel. Vince says Austin has no chance tomorrow and is so confident he guarantees no member of the corporation will interfere in the match tomorrow. Austin vs Mankind with Vince's ref is set for later. D'Lo defeats Jeff Jarrett after some distraction from Ivory. We get a recap of Val Venus and the Shamrocks. Kevin Kelly interviews Val and Ryan until Ken attacks Val. Goldust was defeated by Gilberg after a distraction on the screen from Blue Dust, covered in grapes, just as bad as it sounds. DX out for a promo. Hunter wants China, X-Pac wants Kane, and Billy Gunn announces himself as the special ref for the IC title match at the pay-per-view, in a very run-of-the-mill segment with everybody just talking about their individual match or rivalry. 
In a moment, we'll talk about more on the show. We are set for Austin versus Mankind until both men decide to go after Vince and the corporation. As punishment, Vince books Austin in a corporate gauntlet in our main event. Godfather versus Viscera ended by a quick DQ when Midian ran in. X-Pac versus Kane ended with another terrible DQ when China ran in. Triple H makes the save and hits the pedigree on China. In a very confusing segment, we see Rhodey laid out cold in the back. Al Snow is there and claims that Rhodey stabbed him in the back. He wants a hardcore title match and issues an open challenge, but nobody answers. Show decides he'll have a match with himself and beats himself up with weapons, including putting himself through a table. Bob Holly is here and eats a punch, and they brawl into the crowd until refs separate them. The Rock defeats Steve Blackman in a total squash after a rock bottom and corporate elbow. And in our main event, we had the corporate gauntlet, which you will hear us talk about shortly. Vince McMahon pinned Stone Cold Steve Austin at the end after multiple members of the corporation had been DQ'd. Um, before we get to the pay-per-view, one more episode of Raw. This a Saturday night Raw as a... Uh... Yeah, the show had been moved to the Saturday, so we had three consecutive nights of WWF action this week with the Saturday, the pay-per-view on the Sunday, and then, of course, Monday Night Raw. The show opened with Vince coming out and guaranteeing that he would shed Vince's blood on Sunday. Mankind came out and says that after he retains the title tomorrow, he will be facing Austin at Mania. The corporation interrupts and Vince says that he was so confident that he will beat Austin at the pay-per-view, he bans any member of the corporation from interfering in the match, which is quite the promise. Vince also makes himself a special guest referee for the Mankind-Austin match that we have scheduled later tonight. When we get to that match, the supposed Mankind Austin match, Vince encourages both men to fight dirty before we get going. He wants low blows, he wants eye gouging, and as he puts it, a creative use of furniture. Mankind and Austin know what's up here, and Mankind goes after Vince with Socko. Austin and Mankind team up and clean house of the corporation, and as of revenge, Vince announces that in the main event tonight, Austin will be running a corporate gauntlet. So we get to our main event, which is Austin facing the corporate Gornet, as I said. First off, he gets Ken Shamrock. After about 90 seconds, Shamrock eats a stunner and Tess runs in uh, to break up the pin, getting Ken DQ'd. This happens again to Test. This time, Kane running in for the DQ. You can see a pattern emerging here. Kane gets stunned, and this time it's China who runs in for the DQ before she meets the same fate, and Bossman gets involved. So we have Austin versus Bossman. Austin hooks a sleeper, but Bossman levels him out with the nightstick for the DQ. Vince McMahon then inserts himself into the bout with Austin completely laid out, and he picks up the victory to an absolute ton of heat. Rory, what did you make of this go-home angle for pay-per-view and Vince McMahon defeating Stone Cold Steve Austin? You see, this is how you do it. This is as if this feud needed any more heat built into it. I really don't think it did, but hey, if you're going to give it to us, just fucking do it. And this is how you go home to a pay-per-view. You stack the odds against the baby. I don't care what type of baby face he is. He's, Austin is still number one good guy in the promotion. You stack the deck against him. And Vince McMahon, let's face it, has the power to do it. So who has him facing the entire corporation? And again, they don't care about getting any form of pinfall victory, submission victory on Austin. Not at all. Their job is very simple to rough him up, soften him up to make it easier for Vince the next day on the pay-per-view. And that is what happened. <laughs> just I can just see it now. Just Vince just coming into the match right at the very last second. The corporation have done their business on him. Gets the three count. Nuclear heat. 
gets in Austin's face and you can just see the anger seething from him. He's almost literally frothing at the mouth. This is how you lead into pay-per-view. You can't, even with a feud like this, you know, the greatest feud we've seen, very possibly the, the greatest feud we've seen in the course of this project, they're still not taking liberties, they're still not resting on their laurels, they're still trying to push it. And I think this was a great way of doing it. You can look at the old booking 101 thing and say, ah, if Vince gets the win, it's ridiculous as it sounds, as Vince gets the win here, that means he's losing at the pay-per-view. Okay, that might be how it turned out. But at the time, I really wasn't worried about that. I thought this was just heat building at its very, very best between the two greatest guys in entertainment right now, in my opinion. Eric, over to you. What did you make of this angle? I echo everything Rory just said, but I, I don't think they went far enough necessarily. I would have, because it's so obvious that Austin's going to win, but you have to plant that seed of doubt, and you can't do that without a huge swerve unless you just leave the baby face so bloodied, so brutal, maybe an ambulance spot, maybe a stretcher spot, maybe, you know, whatever whatever they did, I would have ramped it up to the next or even two more levels and left it like, God, I don't even know if Austin's going to be able to make it to the show tomorrow. And then he staggers in and he's not well. And then, you know, that, that just gives Austin another mountain to climb. So I thought this was executed well. I think it was a little bit safe. I would have left Austin just NWA 1984 levels of beat up, bloodied, and, and massacred in order to plant that seed that, man, maybe he's not going to be able to do this tomorrow and Vince is going to screw him again. Yeah, I completely agree with you, uh, Eric. And I thought the reason I went out of my way to mention what Vince said at the top of the show, that he banned the rest of the corporation from interfering in his match at the pay-per-view. I thought that sort of stipulation being added at the start, top of this episode of Raw sort of undercut the effectiveness of this angle because Vince was able to steal a pin over Austin, but it was after five different members of the corporation had had their hands on him. Like, that's not... For me, that's not a particularly strong way of building heat for a match where Vince has already specified none of these guys will interfere. Um, I thought maybe it would have been better if Vince hadn't said that at the top of the show and he'd sort of arrogantly announced after, like they could have beaten Austin down, um, bloodied him up, as you say, and then after Vince can ar arrogantly announce as we're going off the air, I'm so confident I will beat Austin tomorrow that none of the corporation will interfere in my match. Like, then you sort of drop that at the end. Whereas putting at the start and then having Vince get one over on Austin because five corporation members helped him, like it's, I don't know, it, it sort of undercut. But as you both say, we all know Austin's winning. So anything you can do to cast a shadow of doubt over that is great. But if the doubt that you cast involves five corporation members, but you've already told me that they're not going to be there, then how much doubt have you really created? Aside from that, I really did enjoy this angle. Um, it was great. I, like Everything you said, Rory, spot on. And I, I agree with you as well, Eric. Could have gone further, should have gone further, but good stuff. So with that, we move on to our review of St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Uh, would either of you have the results for the show to hand? I've got them right here. I shall Perfect. roll through them boys all. Ever the pro. <laughs> Don't panic, everyone. Dad, Daddy's here. Daddy's in charge. Right, okay then. 
which means I get to give you all the results of this St. Valentine's Day massacre pay-per-view, which took place on February the 14th, no less, from the Pyramid in Memphis, Tennessee, in front of a confirmed and very impressive 19,028 fans. What did they see? Well, they got to see Goldust defeat Blue Dust, no less, in the opening match. They then saw Bob Holly defeat Al Snow in a hardcore match for the vacant hardcore championship. Big Boss Man defeated Midian. The tag team champions of Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart went over D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry. Val Venus defeated Ken Shamrock for the WWF Intercontinental Championship with Billy Gunn as the special guest referee. In a tag team match, China and Kane defeated the D-Generation X representatives of Triple H and X-Pac. As mentioned earlier, Mankind versus The Rock in a last man standing match for the world title ended in a draw. And Stone Cold's team Austin did indeed defeat Mr. McMahon in a steel cage match. And how? To determine the number one contender to the WWF Championship at WrestleMania 15 next month. Thank you very much, Rory. Eric, I'll come to you first. Uh, what did you think of this show? I found the show perplexing. Um, <laughs> there was almost zero wrestling on it, and yet the storyline advancements and and most of the booking decisions were, were... The end results were fine, but the first hour was... first hour and a half was nearly unwatchable, in my opinion, and the second hour and a half left... Uh, a lot of questionable finishes uh, on the table for what were otherwise two or three serviceable to above average matches. Rory, what did you make of the show? Yeah, this felt like a WCW show in reverse, really. I talk so often when I'm on World Championship Wrestling duties that I say the first hour and a half where the workers get to do their stuff is normally pretty good and then it all dives off a cliff. Here we sort of ascended the cliff after a very weak one and a half hours with very few exceptions. But I do think that the big two matches, they did what they wanted to. We can debate, and I'm sure we will, about whether what they actually wanted to was the correct outcome, but I do think they got there. But again, it was, uh, it was a long two hours and 45 minutes, and wrestling fans need not apply. Yeah, I mean, the first hour and a half of the show is all-time levels of bad. Um, the second sort of hour hour and a half of this show is is pretty good nothing special but pretty good and overall that doesn't make for a great pay-per-view but it doesn't make for an awful one either so it's somewhere between the two so we open with a huge uh, we get a jerry lawler chant as we are in memphis before we head straight to our opening match with uh gold dust taking on blue dust so i mean yeah, here we go. Gold Dust attacks quickly from the off, and Blue Dust goes outside to taunt, and we have an absolute dud of a comedy match, folks. Goldie then spanks Blue Dust, and Blue Dust avoids the Shatter's dreams and misses with a moonsault before he is beaten with the curtain call. Right. <laughs> so this was super short, and considering the match on paper, like Gold Dust versus Blue Dust as the opener of a pay-per-view, why I thought this was pretty tragic. Rory, is this not the best that you can hope for when you book this match? Well, ju- I'm not sure, judging by the enthusiasm with which you ran out your notes there, Mr. White, I think you might have answered your own question, but uh, <laughs> I, will, I will have a go anyway. As you did rightly say, we are in Memphis, so this match pretty much uh, suited the particular venue. Well, I just think it's quite funny, really. All the things we say that WWF have imported or stolen, if you like, from ECW, 
They then actually pinched the angle they did do with Blue Mini in ECW in June 1996, where he did himself up as gold dust. Okay, here, thankfully, it was only blue paint and it wasn't uh, blue uh, cake frosting, which we had to endure there, but moving on. There is nothing of note or even nothing of note to say about this match, so I'll let Eric pick up the pieces and then we can try to get to something vaguely laudable. All you need to know about the first half of this show is that this wasn't the worst match of it. <laughs> but, I, I mean, this was, like, this is what I mean. This was terrible, but, like, I can't imagine a circumstance in which you give me Goldust versus Blue Dust on a pay-per-view opener, and I'm happier with what I get than this. Like, it was terrible, but, like, how could it have been better with these guys? Like, I don't want it to go any longer than three minutes. I don't want them to do some spots i don't i don't want any of it so short bitter and we move on next up we have a match for the wwf hardcore championship as bob holly takes on al snow cole tells oh my god michael cole cole gets things started by telling us that this match will go a long way towards erasing the memory of sparky plug but it's probably not as effective now you've just fucking reminded one everyone of it michael <laughs> they brawl for way less than a minute in the ring before heading backstage and trading strikes with random weapons including but not limited to a payphone they brawl outside of the building and into the great outdoors all the way down to a riverbank Al introduces Holly to his girlfriend, Barbie Wire. Uh, uh, yeah, Rory, if you wouldn't mind uh, queuing some the, the, tumbleweeds. The tumbleweeds. It's going to yep. be played back in, don't worry. Yep. Right about... Right about there. There we go. Perfect. Uh, before choking him with some barbed wire. Holly ends up in the river and they do some stuff in the water that I don't care about. And eventually Holly finds a roll of fencing and wraps snow in it and is able to get the pin, mercifully bringing this one to a close. Eric, what did you make of this? There's a lot to unpack with this in your review. <laughs> um, <laughs> should we save the Michael Cole conversation for now or for later? You're cool. Okay. Un listenable <laughs> i have never experienced unlistenability with wrestling commentary and that's because everything comes out with the same exact cadence all caps smushed together one sentence that he spits out long pause and repeat i felt like i was being yelled at through my television screen for three hours I can deal with bad commentary. I can deal with Joey Styles' offensive commentary. I can deal with Jim Ross's self-indulgent whatever, where that goes sometimes. I can deal with Bob Cottle sleeping through old Starcades. I can deal with Mark Lowrance from World Class, for Christ's sake. But Michael Cole is the line for me. I, it's unfucking listenable And if he's calling WrestleMania, God help us all. To this match, um, this is the longest 10-minute match that I have ever watched. It just kept going and nothing happened. And then they got to the river and the river should be the finish, but no, they wrestled in the river, around the river, by the river for three or four minutes before the finish was somebody being rolled up into uh, fencing. There's, 
Bob Holly is a perfectly good wrestler. We know that Al Snow is probably an above average wrestler. And this match contains such little wrestling in it that it's offensive to see both of these guys su su submit themselves to this. I hate the WWF style of hardcore wrestling, and I hope it goes away tomorrow if we're going to get 10 minutes of this trash on our screens every month. Okay, I'm done. Rory, follow that. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a challenge, but I'll do my best. Yep, the whole hardcore championship thing itself, I'm still not sure how seriously they're taking it, how seriously they should take it. Because don't forget, the whole reason it was created four months ago was a character device for mankind, really. You know, Vince McMahon, his dad, giving him a present, which we all know was just a glued-together broken old belt, which doesn't mean anything. And now it's become an actual championship, which is defended on pay-per-views and is actually sought after. I don't necessarily mind that, but I do think the WWF, or God help us, Cole on commentary, need to say why people would actually want this useless piece of tin, especially if they've got to in kayfabe at least, really hurt themselves for the privilege. This match has actually got a lot of positive reviews, but um, I'm with you guys on this one. I, just, I, I can't see for the life of me why they were just walking around hitting each other with stuff. I did like Snow's line when we go out to the payphone. He hits Holly with it and he says, here, reach out and touch somebody. I did like that, but that's pretty much all we had. The Mississippi River thing is inventive and it's new. I don't have a problem with it, but you're right, Eric. If that's going to be the selling point, then make that the finish. Now, a pin on the surface of the water with the ref going, he's putting down the three cat and water splashing everywhere. You know, that's a visual. Holly then dragging Snow out, loosely wrapping him in some sort of chicken wire with his shoulders nowhere near the floor, and that being the three. That is not a visual I want in my mind. So. It's something for Holly to do, but is it really that much better than Sparky Plug? I don't know. And just one more on Cole. I've got a, I've got another one for Cole in the next match, but one I could pick up 1,000, but I've just got one for you. Uh, an exact quote he says here, it's 30 degrees out there and Bob Holly's going out without a shirt. Yeah, thanks, Mom. Oh, God. I, and, and Christ forbid we try to make this match better, but I, if you're going to have a match that's 10 minutes long that just drags on throughout the building and ends up in the Mississippi River, which... Based on where I could tell in proximity to the building was quite far. Why not do a gimmick like they did at Canadian Stampede with Hunter and Foley, where this match just kind of keeps going and they yeah. go to the next match and then they're still fighting? That would have been freaking hilarious. That's good. And then maybe you finish it before the big three or four matches start to kind of give some levity or whatever. But like to have this just go straight through, they basically were just walking as quickly as possible to get to the river. And then I would have, I would have maybe done this a little bit differently, structured a little bit differently. If you wanted to have the slow plotting match, I would have broken it up in three or four minute increments over the, over the show. Yeah, it's definitely a uh, improvement. Um, I don't know. I don't know what more I could possibly say about this match. It was just, not good tv and uh we had to pay for the privilege to watch this and uh we're uh two for two on absolutely fucking horrible matches on the start of this paper so uh moving on hopefully we can turn the tide around with the big boss man hmm? okay take it on Midian. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we could turn it around. I wouldn't die on that particular hill if I were you, Mr. White. Rory, if you could just cue the tumbleweed back up straight again and <laughs> put it in there. Um, yeah, so this match on paper, all the makings of a, of a five-star classic, I'm sure. And to be honest, dear listener, I'm going to spare you the full details because, truthfully, 
I respect you too much to subject you to it. And I respect Eric and, and Rory and their contributions to this show and this project far too much to make them listen to a full review of Big Boss Man versus Midian, having had to watch the match with their own eyes and take time out of busy lives to watch this match for you. They do not need a full five-minute recap of this match. What I will say is that I can sum up the early stages of this match by that after a period of complete silence through 19,000 fans in attendance, we did get a huge boring charm. Bossman hit a couple of punches, a couple of chokes. This is a thriller. And after what seemed like an eternity, Bossman did pick up the win with the Bossman slam. After the match, the ministry jumped Bossman and the Undertaker watched. And the corporation helped Bossman to the back. That's all you're getting. Rory, did you enjoy it more than me? If that's possible. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're bringing the big question today, Chris. I'll give you that. Uh, you've already said far too much about this match than I could ever hope. And anybody sentient could ever hope or wish to do. So I'm just going to give you another classic Michael Coleism. And it goes as follows. Midian has... <laughs> I can't even bring myself to say it. Midian has gone through a reformation. You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> but that's, that, that's all I need to say about this. Except this looks like it's leading to Bossman versus Undertaker. He'll be heel at WrestleMania. Oh, goody. Eric. Fair enough. Moving on, we have our WWF tag team championship match with uh, Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart with uh, Deborah taking on the team of Mark Henry and Dino Brown who are with Ivory. So we start with a generic tag, faces in control for the first few minutes until Owen and Jarrett manage to suck a Dino into the corner and cut him off. Uh, the heels work him over until Dino is able to counter a 10 punch in the corner attempt from Owen into the sky high, which is quite a cool spot. He looks for the lowdown, but Deborah distracts him by showing some flesh. Ira Viri goes after her on the outside, and the ref is distracted, which allows Owen to use the guitar on Henry in the ring. Uh, Jarrett looks on the figure four, and there are pieces of broken guitar all over the ring, pretty clearly visible. But Henry taps, the ref ignores the guitar, and the heels retain. Eric, I hope you're you're back on the show. What did you make of this match? <laughs> no, my microphone was not muted. Um, <laughs> so um, this was the first match on the card where I was thinking, yeah, this, this could be something because you have Owen, who's a fabulous worker, Jarrett, who knows the Memphis crowd, Memphis style. I mean, if Jarrett's going to be over and have a match where the crowd is receptive to him, it's here or it's not anywhere else. And then we know Delo's on the rise and he's very entertaining. And we've seen that at least Mark Henry can stand in the middle of the ring and have big and uh, have smaller guys run at him and work around him. Um, so yeah, cool. But this match was built around Deborah and Ivory, um, and those were the high spots of the match. And then it finishes with that very Memphis referee is going to ignore the guitar all over the ring to to score the the fall. And so I was disappointed that even a match on the card that I'm looking through the, the rest of the bill was probably our best chance at having any sort of work rate still couldn't deliver with three guys who are above average 
and a big guy in there to, to balance the thing. So this match was even disappointing, even though one of the better matches on the card, I guess. Rory, what do you make of the tag title match? I've got another commentary line for you, but it's from King this time, and he was really proud of this one. Delo's in the ring with Owen, and he says, Delo isn't wrestling with shadows. Ha, ha, and indeed, ha. I think it says a lot about where the standing of women is in the World Wrestling Federation these days. Ivory is a 10-year veteran. Uh, she worked in the original Glow, bit of a name on the indie scene. She's brought in here where her character is essentially a slot. That, that, that is that is the extent of her character development, a slot who may or may not get her clothes off at the end of the match. It's the millennium, everybody. It's the millennium. This match threatens to be a contender. I thought, you know, all the combinations you would expect in here were at least decent. I Any combination which didn't involve the words Mark and Henry in it. But it was all about that, you know, Memphis-tastic finish. And I do think it makes the referees look so stupid to a point where you wonder where they would even be employed. I mean, if you turn around, you cannot see 500 bits of a guitar. You know, you're probably even ripping your hand on them when you're trying to make the count and you just think everything's A-OK. -okay. This guy just happens to be lying down on the ground. I don't think it makes believability any easier. But, um, this was match of the night so far, which if that doesn't tell you where we're going, then not much will, I'm afraid. Yep, match of the night so far, an hour in. This show is garbage. <laughs> I just want Next. to point out that, that <laughs> Ivory was probably... This is this is deep, uh, but Ivory was probably the best worker that Glow ever had too. So it's not like she's she's not a Glow girl. She's a good wrestler. Yeah, there you go. But uh, she might as well not be. It's, it's February '99, everybody. They're there for yeah. two reasons and two reasons only. So uh, let's see if we can turn our night around with the Intercontinental Title Match between Ken Shamrock and Val Venus with special guest referee Billy Gunn. Tumbleweeds again, Rory. Uh, Shamrock is aggressive. I'm just going to keep pressing it over and over now. <laughs> Shamrock is aggressive from the start as they trade back and forth to get us started. Ken stops on Val and argues with Billy Gunn. The crowd is dead as Val makes a comeback and Venus rams Shamrock into the post and goes for the camel clutch. This match is really, really going on quite a while considering the complete lack of interesting action so far. Michael Cole is plugging upcoming shows. Shamrock hits a DDT, which Gunn counts two for, but stops. Shamrock is not impressed. Venus takes advantage with a suplex, and Gunn slow counts him. So we have one of these matches. Shamrock then hits a nice Harakamana, which gets a very slow one. Shamrock snaps, and he puts the ankle lock on, but Billy ignores the fact that Ryan is helping pull Val to the ropes. Shamrock is furious and he goes to and confront his sister. So she slaps him on the outside. Billy follows and gets into it with Ken on the outside. Shamrock shoves him, so Gunn levels him and rolls him inside, where Val is able to get a small package and Billy does a quick count. And we have a new intercontinental champion. It's Val Venus. Rory, Val Venus, intercontinental champion. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to be playing in the fireworks and streamers sound effect. <laughs> I'm going to give these two some grudging credit. They were at least points of this match trying to do, oh, what's it called again? I, I, it's a word I barely mention these days. What's it? You know, when you're actually in the, wrestle, wrestling, that's it. That's it, wrestling, yeah. Bits and pieces of it anyway. But it was far too long, and the work they were trying to do was far too dull. 
I do think Val is he's one of these people he's both enhanced by his character, but he's rather suppressed by it as well. If he wasn't the Balvinus character, he probably would only be, I don't know, something like Jim Powers level or something like that. So he's in, you know, he's in the graces of the fans. But if you turn it around the other way, he's still, the first thing you think of is not what in-ring ability he might have, which is a bit, actually. It's, oh, he's the porn star guy. So he's, you know, it's a real catch-22 situation. I do feel sorry for him, but it is at the very least a bankable gimmick. And they did try in there, but I think Shamrock has settled into a bit of a holding pattern these days, taking the icy belt off him. I do not see that as an indication where they're moving him up. I think he's going to be moved down, regardless of his associations with the corporation. And did you notice, uh, you mentioned it there in your play-by-play, Chris, uh, when Shamrock was slapped by his sister, Ryan, he actually told her to slap him. Did, did you pick that one up? What are you doing? Blood sticking water. What are you doing? Bit of a drop one there from Ken. Yeah, Billy Gunn was probably the most, dare I say, entertaining part of this match. And I think he's easily the weak link in the whole DX package. So again, that'll give you some clue of where we are here. They were game, but um, it wasn't one I wanted to play, really. Eric, what did you make of the IC title match? I fully disagree that Billy Gunn was the best part of this match. I think that he turned what was what I would imagine should have been a, a feud culminator. I mean, when a feud involves one guy with another guy's sister, and that sister kind of on the fence, but, uh, why do you need to insert a comedy special referee angle into that match. And I think Billy Gunn here was trying to get himself over, which good for him. That's his job. These guys aren't, you know, paid on downsides like, or on guaranteed contracts like WCW. So I get it, but I think Billy ruined what should have been a feud culminating match. I think it makes Shamrock look like a total knob to lose to Venus under any circumstance mm-hmm. here. I mean, this is a guy who was battling the rock last year. The rocks going to be in the WrestleMania main event. And Ken's going to be lucky to, you know, be in the Intercontinental match at WrestleMania, which is exactly where he was last year when he lost to The Rock, technically. So I just don't know what this feud does for anybody if this is how they're going to blow it off, if this is the blow off. Sounds like maybe these guys will be involved at Mania too, but why does Billy Gunn have to be here? And then secondly, like, I think, you know, we've seen the Intercontinental title flourish under gimmick guys like Honky Tonk, like Warrior, um, things like that. But I don't know if Val's Val doesn't have the charisma of a honky tonk and he doesn't have the, he's not as over as warrior and he's certainly not a work rate guy, like a Brett, like a perfect, like a Sean. So I don't know where Val necessarily fits in as a meaningful intercontinental champion. Uh, I, I think it's too much of a gimmick and not a good enough worker for this to be a long-term fix. Cause when I turn on raw, I don't, I'm not waiting for Val. No, I uh, I completely agree with you, Eric, on uh, Val as IC champion. I don't see that as a a great long-term move. I don't see it as a, a good move heading into Mania. I, I, I don't know where this character fits at all, sort of medium to long-term. It is very much a gimmick that will run its course. There's not only so much you can do with the porn star, Um and I don't think what you can do with the porn star necessarily needs to have the IC title involved. Um, 
the other sort of part of this Matt Shamrock for me, like I've always been a big Shamrock guy. Um, I always hop back to his match with Sean. Uh, what December '97 was it on pay per view? That was the DX pay per view. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought he looked so good there, and he could have had a really, really good 98, really kicked on. Like, that was a big match for him to have. And obviously, you're in there with Shawn Michaels. Like, Shawn can ha- Shawn's going to get the best out of people, and Shawn's going to have good matches. But I thought Shamrock held his own in that match, and I always go back to it. But he's never he's never lived up to that. He's, he's not pushed on. Any potential I thought he had as a worker and sort of my hopes of him heading into 98 nothing culminated and you only have to eric as you rightfully point out that that comparison of him and the rock uh sort of the same position on the card this time last year i mean they couldn't be further apart now and uh shamrock will be lucky to be in a singles match at mania icy title or not um he's that kind of role now uh, i think it's just crazy like i mean i don't know where he would fit in in the main event scene but i just feel like if you're a promoter and you can get like a an mma fighter in like you can do stuff with that like there's sort of ready-made angles and feuds and rivalries just in the fact that this guy's like legit like you you don't need much else um i think shamrock's a charismatic guy i think he's capable of a a good match, a, a good brawl, and I think if you put him there in there with good guys, you won't be disappointed with what you get. But I don't know if it's just we've just missed the boat with him. I don't know if you're ever going to get anywhere near the level of how, in my mind, things could have been with him. Uh, he's just think... an, he is just another wrestler these days, isn't he? Yeah, there's he's nothing not really given a chance to show his own skills. He's getting involved with all the stupid soap opera storylines. He's he's not standing out or being given a chance to stand out. He's completely low mid-card. Any mm-hmm. desire or hope or maybe even inkling that I had that Shamrock should be a main event player within the WWF within, go back to 97, within the next two years or so, there's 0% chance of that happening. He's just not in that position on the card. He's not been given the opportunities. And even when he has been, I, I don't think he's particularly shown. Um, so disappointing for him, but not unexpected i think we move on to a tag team match between the corporation being represented by kane and china taking on dx represented by triple h and x-pac and we have shane mcmahon joining us on commentary for this one kane wipes out x-pac early and tags in china x-pac's able to fight his way back into the match and it looks like he's going to hit the bronco buster on china which the crowd were absolutely ridiculously into. It would have been a huge moment. China looks pretty good here, I think, and she's selling well, trading with the men well. I think in the early goings here, China really impressed me. DX hit a double suplex on Kane, and they just China off the top onto Kane. They hit a double DDT on Kane, who no sells and misses a charge into the post. The match breaks down and they all brawl wildly and X-Pac ends up decking Shane on the outside. The corporation then beat down X-Pac until Triple H gets the hot tag and he absolutely nails China and dumps Kane over the top rope. Kane pulls Hunter out of the ring and they brawl on the outside. This leaves China alone in the ring with X-Pac and China makes her to the corner 
This time, X-Pac really does hit the Bronco Buster, which gets a huge pop. Shane then attacks X-Pac from behind, and he bails, and X-Pac chases him to the back. Triple H then nails China with a knee, but Kane hits Triple H with a chokeslam, drapes China over the top to pick up the win for the corporation. Eric, what did you make of this tag match? This is the only match on the card where that I felt was executed well and finished logically. Um, and I think, let's start with the China being in here. This is how you book an attraction who's not necessarily a worker. I mean, this is what WCW did so well with, with Dennis Rodman the first time around with Carl Malone. You put these guys in the ring with people that know what they're doing, who have been there before, and know how to work around somebody, and are willing to maybe put themselves uh, to, to, to be put over by somebody who's not necessarily a wrestler for the greater good. And I think, you know, X-Pac, we know, is one of the best workers that the Fed has, and Triple H and Kane have, have been high enough on the card for long enough now that they know how to work a match. They know how to work this style of match, and it made China look like a million bucks, and they didn't expose her at all. There was no point in this match where I was like, gosh, they're putting China in situations she should not be in. Executed expertly. And the finish was great because if this is leading to Triple H versus Kane at WrestleMania, that's fine. But this could be leading to Triple H versus China, perhaps, which I think would be kind of a monumental step. Or maybe you get China versus X-Pac, which would probably be a better match, frankly. Um, but yeah, I think this was this was done really, really well. I think soup to nuts, this is the best match on the card yeah okay so let's 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 break this one down so china turned heel right at the very end of january there was so much going on last month we didn't even get a chance to talk about it on last month's show i think it's a good move for her i think dx now really have something to fight for which is my biggest concern with them really they were just a baby face group who were popular but they didn't really have much of a direction now one of their number and a very important part of the number has turned on them now they've got some real motivation and i think that's going to help them going forward leading into mania and i thought china looked absolutely fine in this match a couple of moments where she was perhaps a little bit unsteady she looked a little lacking a little bit of confidence at times but i think that's understandable you know she didn't embarrass herself out there not even close and as eric rightly says you know she was in there with guys who were going to able to help her out through some of the more for some of the more trickier moments and it looked fairly seamless as far as i'm concerned she like all good heels do gets the first win in the feud without really having to try to do so kane helped her out and i thought this was entirely successful no great shakes as a wrestling match but as a first real chapter in the story they're building between china and dx i thought this was more than fine and, and it achieved all its goals I, I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. I, I just going to talk about the the commentary again. So let me know. Oh, when we wanna... please do, please do. I just wanted to ask a little straw poll here uh, for the gentleman: Shane McMahon, Michael oh, Cole, and Jerry the King Lawler with a hoarse voice, or Gorilla Monsoon, Randy Savage, and Art Donovan. Oh, <laughs> I think oh this, my god! I do think this was worse. I, I'm with you. <laughs> And of course, X Pac was in there as well. He looks like a boxer. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Art Donovan! I, 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 yeah, I do miss him at times like this. I really do. I just, oh, yeah. I just, I, I can't, I can't believe, I can't believe 
that as hot as the WWF is right now, that this was the best they could do as their A commentary team. Shane did add absolutely nothing, and he took away from whatever Michael Cole and King might have been adding. This was just, this was beyond unlistenable. This is mute level status. I've been full of praise for Shane over the last three months, but it was all negated here by him going, wham, 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 wham. Oh, horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. And I, I was about to say that this is probably the only match on the card that I don't really have anything negative to say about it. And then you reminded me of the commentary. Um, but that is would be unfair maybe to judge the match by the standards of this particularly terrible commentary unit. Um, yeah, probably the only match on the card that generally all in in terms of the match how everyone looked and, and the finish exceeded all my expectations um not to say it's anything particularly outstanding um but only real positive things for me um probably the first match on the show definitely that i'd have overwhelmingly positive things to say about it again nothing special um but a good well-booked logical match where everyone looked everyone looked good so I've used the word good a lot there, but it, it was all right. There we go. <laughs> Moving on, uh, hopefully, uh, to even better things. We have a last man standing match for the WWF Championship with Mankind defending his title against The Rock. So we start and they brawl all over the place. Uh, they brawl outside the ring towards the down the entrance ramp and uh, with Mankind launching Rocky into some steel. I head backstage and the Rock DDT's Mankind for a table. Back down to the ring brawling, and Mankind misses with his own attempt at a corporate elbow, which I really enjoyed. Rock uh, beats him down on the outside, and he does some commentating for us, so uh, it's not all bad on the commentary team tonight. Mankind comes back and hits an elbow off the apron onto Rock, who is on a table. Mankind tosses the stairs into the ring. He charges at Rock, who then trips Foley, who then eats the steps. Rock gets a chair and goes after Mick's leg viciously, which brings back fears of a repeat of the rumble. However, it's actually quite clever psychology, uh, and as obviously to avoid losing this match, you need to stand up. We get one of my favourite spots. Rock goes for a chair shot to the head, but misses, hits the rope, and the chair ricochets into his own head. Mick hits the captor's clothesline and the neck breaker on the floor, and they head the commentator's table and uh, where uh, Foley tries a pile driver, but the rock counters and hits a backdrop to Mankind, who lands on the timekeeper's table. On his way down, Mick smashes the back of his head on the edge of the commentator's table in the process, which just was hideous. Foley somehow gets up and Rock continues the beating, hitting a corporate elbow back inside. Rock grabs the mic and drops his most electrifying line. The crowd finishes for him and the Rock is absolutely crazy over. Foley comes back with a mandible claw and the ref gets bumped during this anything goes match. Mankind hits a DDT on a chair, which gets nine. Mr. Socko is out, but Rock counters with a rock bottom. Both guys are up and they each get a chair, each nailing each other at the same time. Both men are down and we get a 10 count. We have a draw. The crowd chant bullshit. Mankind is still the WWF champion and both men are stretched out. Rory, what did you make of this one? Okay. In the tale of Melibee in 1386, Geoffrey Chaucer first coined the phrase familiarity breeds contempt. 
And if the family of Chaucer are listening to this show, which I have no doubt that they are, I hate to tell you that on this one, he was incorrect. This was the, I might have lost count here, but I believe this was the sixth big match these two have had against each other in the last three months. And for a good 15, 16 minutes of it, to my eyes at least, it was by far the best. I think they have both got the style against each other down pat, i.e. just letting it all hang out and just beating the tar out of each other. That is what Mankind Mick Foley does better than anybody else. And I do think that is The Rock's... <laughs> it's, it might end up becoming his default setting. And I actually think that's going to be to his benefit. He's good at this kind of style. He's in there with the best, the best artisan. Of, <laughs> it was, if you can be a brawling artisan, Mankind is it. And The Rock has hung with him every step of the way. And I think this is going to stand him in good stead if we do get the eventual babyface turn, which I think is all but inevitable now, possibly straight after WrestleMania. They just went for it. And they got me invested in a type of match which I do not particularly have any real interest in. I just think whatever you want to call them, last man standing, Texas death match, there's very little drama in watching somebody just lying down flat while a referee counts 10, while the other guy who's supposedly done an offensive move just stands around hoping he's going to stay down. Not my first choice of not my first choice of stipulation match. Far, far from it. But I think these two did the best they very could within the limitations of the genre. There were a couple of moments where I thought it could actually end and had me pretty gripped throughout. So let's get straight to the finish now after a fine 18, 19 minutes. Credit to the guys involved. They got the timing bang on here to the nearest nanosecond. They really did hit each other at the same time. An ambitious spot that could have looked a bit hokey. It looked as accurate and as, that word again, real as it possibly could. So kudos to both involved. But as well as it was executed, that was still the finish. And we'll talk about the seventh match these two had against each other a little bit later on. But you know, this match wasn't main eventing the pay-per-view. If you want The Rock to beat the champ, couldn't you do it here? <laughs> Everybody knows you're not going to be getting Mankind versus Austin at WrestleMania, so I do wonder if this was the Fed being just a little bit too cute again and just trying to screw the Smarks for one more day. I don't know. I don't blame the crowd for their bullshit chants and their booze at this one. I get what, again, it's an example where I see what the Fed were trying to do but I just don't agree with what it was that they were trying to do. But yes, an excellent brawl. Certainly the most enjoyable match these two have had against each other to my eyes. Although, of course, the Raw match at the beginning of 1999 will always hold top honours for what it involved. But these two showing fine examples, I think, of the brawling style. And for that, they do deserve a whole lot of credit. But that finish... Uh... Eric, over to you. Finish aside, and I'm still not that thrilled when pay-per-view finishes are non-finishes. I think that's kind of that kind of violates an unwritten rule of of wrestling. But anyway, I get it. You want to pop the rating on Raw. Rory, will you hit us with that quote again? Uh, but, uh, but the Chaucer quote? Yes, if you have it in front of you. Famili- I do indeed. Familiarity breeds contempt. It's from the tale of Melibee from 1386. Yeah, and, and that makes that makes sense here for me from another angle, which was if you just put this show on and fast-forwarded to this match and that's all you watched, yeah, this would be a four-star match finish, you know, notwithstanding. But this match was just another schmoz brawl outside the ring, no work rate, 
uh, violence weapons match that in a card that was basically carried by matches like that before this match, and certainly in the match that followed it, which, if anything, you can say that this card was not well structured because I felt like by the end of it, I'd just been watching the same Dudley Boys ECW style of walking brawl for like three hours with horrible in ring work with Bossman and Midian and Median and Goldust peppered in, if you can even call it that. Like, I just feel like this card was so imbalanced with non-work rate style of wrestling that by the end of it, I just felt like I'd been watching the same damn thing for three hours. I think this this match's impact was hurt because there was nothing about it to distinguish it from the type of stuff that was also on this card, even though it was the best of that stuff that was on this card, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I do got you... Uh, get where you're coming from eric like the sort of just an oversaturation of this style particularly on the show um even if the execution of all that preceded this was way 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 below this standard for me i am probably closer to rory in that i thought well this was one of the better matches these two have had but i've probably would well i would comfortably say that i've enjoyed all of them and i think they have superb chemistry i i think the, the six big matches they've had in three months have all been great for my money. Um, I really enjoy Mankind in a big main event level match. And I think The Rock is just, his charisma is on another level. And I think anywhere you put that guy, he's going to elevate a segment, elevate an angle or elevate a match. He gets people invested. And I think he is... I mean, he's wonderful in his role, don't get me wrong, but I do wonder how long they can keep him a heel, really, um, in terms of the big picture, because he makes you want to root for him uh, just with how funny, witty, charismatic, just his facial expressions, everything about him. <laughs> he's built to be cheered. Um but he is excellent in his role, don't get me wrong. Um, I preferred this to their match at the Rumble um, because, well, I mean, we don't need to talk about the ending of that match. Um, but probably they're maybe one of the most enjoyable in terms of, like, the actual match. But then you do have the finish, which is a bit underwhelming. But I suppose we'll get into it more when we talk about their seventh big match. Um, but if we know we're not getting Mankind versus Austin at Mania, we do need something for Mankind to do. And by having this go to a bit of a schmoz and having a match the next night, we are able to set something up for Mankind for Mania, seemingly. Um, at least that's what it looked like to me, that we'll get into it when we come to it. But that's the one benefit maybe of having this finish on this show and the fact that you have a match following it and it's not the last thing to send the crowd off is this draw. One thing that bothered me, I just thought it's inherently silly that if you've got a match uh, where, yeah, like if you're down for a 10 count, you, you lose effectively. Um, surely in the event of both men being down, you should just, the winner's the first one who, gets up like wouldn't that make sense rather than just be like oh no, no it's over it's or over don't, or don't count yeah wait until someone gets up then count 
or I don't know. It just seemed it was like, like watching this match, and it's like, oh, they're both down for the count of ten. It's a draw. I'm like, well, you might as well just see who gets up first, and then they've won, haven't they? Like, it's which just was, so stupid. Which was the star? The Starcade Night of the Skywalkers was that '86. Anyway, there was a match between. Oh God, you really test him here, Big Bubba, <laughs> and I want to say Jimmy Valiant, and. The match ended when both guys were, I think, oh my gosh, I think the match ended when both guys were down, couldn't answer the 10 count, and the ref said, first one up wins, and then Cornette shenanigans, Bubba wins. Uh, that, so, Chris, what you just said has some precedent in, uh, in sports entertainment. And it just makes so much sense, and I agree with you, Rory, in that the, the stipulation itself that does take away a lot of the drama, I mean, I, I get the the logic behind the stipulation because like i don't know like it i mean it, there's certainly drama when someone goes down and tries to beat a count of 10 in boxing so why they're unable to capture that level of drama in professional wrestling like where like whisper it it's scripted and you can like plan specific spots and build drama and anticipation while you're unable to capture that level of drama when you've got the same stipulation that builds drama in real sport then i'm not sure like I, I i feel like there's a way to do it but this match certainly wasn't a demonstration of that and thank you very much eric for the uh the uh highlighting of the precedent for what i thought was just a big gap in logic in the stip and i'm consulting my pwi almanac here and it was ron garvin uh not jimmy valiant but everything else is otherwise true It was very, very close. Very impressive for you on on a whim to just pluck that from somewhere. So props to you. With that, it's time for the main event of St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And we have Stone Cold Steve Austin taking on Vince McMahon in a steel cage match. Austin is out and the pop for him is just absurd. Vince stalls initially, which just excites this rabid crowd even more. McMahon runs away and Austin gives chase. Uh, Austin eventually feigns a knee injury, which goads Vince in and the beating begins. Austin beats Vince down all the way through the crowd. They fight up the uh, all around the crowd, around ringside. Austin is beating the piss out of Vince. They fight up the side of the cage where Austin smashes Vince into the steel. And as you mentioned in the news, Rory, Vince takes a absolutely monster bump from the side of the cage through the announce table. As Vince is being stretched out, they attempt to declare Austin the winner, but he gets on the mic and says that this is bullshit. The match never even started. Austin then attacks Vince and brings him into the ring, and the match is officially underway. It's a one-sided beating, and Austin has the chance to win multiple times, but he's keep 
he's continuously goaded back into the ring with when Vince taunts him and flips him off. Finally, Austin hits a Stone Cold Stunner, and suddenly the debuting Paul White, formerly WCW's giant, breaks through the bottom of the ring. He beats Austin down and launches him into a cage so hard it breaks. The cage opens. Austin falls through the cage to the floor. Austin wins. Eric, what did you make of this match, this finish? Paul White, the whole package. What did you make? Another onion to uh, to unpeel here. Um, I think the match was executed pretty much flawlessly. I don't know how else you would have done a match like this. Vince isn't going to go in and work a 20-minute match, and nor is Austin at this point. So they had to do something, and Jesus, did Vince bring it? I mean, that guy bumped and bled, and it looked pretty brutal uh, in that table spot. He didn't hit the table. He hit the side of the table and bounced off it, and then the table broke, and Vince hit the concrete. So about as bad as one could take that bump did Vince take it. And then, yeah, and usually in a match like this where the baby face is just overcome with the desire to get his revenge on the heel, I'm like, fuck, you know, why are you stupid? Win the match, then go back in and beat his ass. But I think this feud's been going on long enough, and Vince has done enough to Austin, and Austin's character is established so enough to where you can almost forgive some of the booking loopholes here that needed to happen to get the giant in into the match. And then I guess if you're going to have Austin win, you have to do that finish, but then why debut the giant here, Paul White here, to make him look like an absolute idiot or at least ineffective right away? I don't know. I don't know. I've been trying to rack my brain as to how this could have been different if the whole end game was to get the giant on TV before WrestleMania. But I almost might have done this a little bit differently, held him off because that's a big coup for WWF and that's the type of guy they like to push. And it certainly looks like if I were them, I'd head, I'd be head on for Austin versus giant at like SummerSlam or something. Right. But this just makes him look like an absolute tool. And I don't know if that's the way you want to debut a guy who could be a top heel for a long time. Uh, Rory, I will come to you in a second, of course. But uh, Eric, just on that note, like, I think you can do this exact finish, but play it off so differently. Like, Giant looks like an idiot. Like, he threw him into the cage. It broke. Austin wins. The Giants screwed it up for Vince. Like, he wasn't even mad. He wasn't yeah. even like... <laughs> the way you need to sell this is, like, you should have Austin launching Vince into the sides of these cages over and over and over and over again. They don't even buckle. Like, they don't... They don't they barely move. Like Austin is launching Vince full force into the cage. They do not move. No one's going to note that. It's just a cage match. But then all Giant has to do is pick Austin up and throw him into the cage. And if the cage breaks and then opens, even though Austin wins, you can the Giant can be furious. And you you need a, this is where you need a competent commentator running things. Just. Like Austin wins, but oh my god, the strength of the giant! Like the way he just threw him, he broke the steel cage. Like you can really, really play that up. And like if the giant's just furious about the whole thing, and maybe like you could have him like destroy something else. It's like Christ, Austin's Austin got away with one here tonight. Like he survived, but 
one day the giant's going to get his hands on him again. Like you can, you can do this finish and make the giant not look like an idiot, but look like a monster, but they just didn't do it at all. Yeah. Or how about Austin wins the match, but that shot into the cage renders him so disabled that the giant can then go out and beat his ass. And then at least Austin's, I mean, the thing about this is like they had multiple opportunities because Austin won the match. So he's going to mania. So the crowd's going to be happy about that. But this is Memphis, and it's a February pay-per-view. So why not let the heel debuting monster, who's going to be Austin's next nemesis after you know he gets through with this rocks business? Why not have the giant choke slam him a few times and and leave him laying? And then Vince has that like devious grin on his face, like Austin, you may have won the battle, my friend, again, but you continue to lose the war. But they, it just ends, and the giants just looking there like an idiot. Yeah, so. Yeah, I think you're right, Chris. Like you have this this type of finish, but then it could have been executed much better. Rory, I will come to you now. Your thoughts on the finish, the match, all of it. Far too much logic, guys. Far, far, far <laughs> too much logic. See, the whole very name of this pay-per-view, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Okay. I didn't want a repeat of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which took place 70 years beforehand. But I think a lot of people bought tickets for this one, especially in Memphis, and ordered the pay-per-view as well for the main event to be a massacre. Vince being utterly destroyed for possibly the final time, maybe to the point where we don't even see him again for a few weeks by Steve Austin. Finally getting that closure, that catharsis that we've wanted. Ever since Austin told Vince that he was going to do things the hard way almost a year ago. That is what this pay-per-view, you know, call it hope against hope if you want, should have been predicated on. As it was, it was built around a bump that Vince McMahon did not need to take. Just to get technical just for a second. If you go back and watch it, he actually, when he's hanging off the cage, he jumps backwards. He isn't propelled. He isn't rolled off. He physically jumps off. Looks extremely awkward in doing so. His arms and legs are all over the place. There's no kind of protection there when he lands tail first on just about a part of the table. And this worries me for one major reason. If people in the back see their 53-year-old boss taking a risk like that, they're going to think, here, hang on a minute, I better step up my game. And you might get the talent themselves trying to come up with more crazy and crazy things to try to get noticed, which is not a road I particularly want anybody to go down. (laughs) Vince himself didn't want mankind to take any further bumps when he was thrown off the cage at King of the Ring 98. He he broke character to effectively tell him so, and yet here he is (laughs) endangering his own health when he's already got his own problems with his liver apparently and he's taking bumps like this which he does not need people just wanted to see him take a take a pummeling for 10-15 minutes not required you guys have talked about there's, there's nothing else to talk about the match really that's what it was you guys have rightly picked apart how stupid the finish was i just want to add to that that yes it made paul white look really quite dumb also two points here one austin did have the match won on at least two occasions and this is quite heavy kayfabe stuff but why didn't Whites try to stop him then? Now, it's only by the grace of God that Austin got back in the ring to give him another chance to stop Austin winning, if you get me. And secondly, no, I'm very, very concerned about Mr. White now. Now, he hasn't got a good name. He's just going over under his real name. 
for me, that's not really a good sign. If Vince doesn't give you a colorful character name, you've got a bit of a problem. He's on a million dollar a year contract. He's there for 10 years, as what I can tell, looking through some of the fine print. And they choose to make him look like a goof. Yes, he's from the competition. Yes, and I'm sure Vince McMahon is still in the old-fashioned mentality of paying your dues and all that. But come on, making a huge guy who should be you know, seven foot four, Vince. He's your, he's yet another one of your wet dreams made incarnate. You know, just like Test a couple of months ago. Look at the guy. Not uh, look, gift horse mouth and all that, and you're making him look stupid. For a finish to ever, oh, well, not a finish, the ending that everybody knew was coming. The world and his wife knew Vince was going to lose this match. So why not just have Austin win it in eight, nine, ten minutes, beating the tire out of him, pinfall, you know, five stunners and a pinfall or something like that? You can still have Vince get color. There are so many other ways you could have got to the ending, which is Austin you know, main eventing WrestleMania, becoming the number one contender. In a far more satisfying way, giving the fans what they wanted, Vince taking the ultimate beating for possibly the final time. But once again, they overthought themselves and they left uh, a feeling with me, at least, of a damp squib. In a, you know, and if this is the end of the feud, which from what I can tell, we'll talk about it a bit later on, I think it's going to be, then again, they've ended a feud in a rather meek way. You know, other companies have done this, naming no names where it was right there on their lap and they just chose to look elsewhere. It's, it's a worrying trend in pro wrestling at the moment. Can, can we just talk about how the way to debut Paul White here would have been to have him seated in the front row and have him cut a babyface promo about halfway through the show to say, I'm you know, here in the WWF and you know, I'm here to, to basically cut the, the babyface version of the Kevin Nash promo. I'm here where the competition is and, in Austin, you know, you got a you got a giant problem on your hands or something like that, right? Play off of that, and then have it escalate to where it, by the end of the show, he's basically been built as a babyface for the entire two or three hours, and that then he can turn. But he's his, he's there, and he's not waiting under the ring like an idiot. And I just think there would have been a much better way to to have him align himself with Vince, or at least more accurately, align himself against Austin. Than having him wait under the ring until the absolute right potential moment, you know, have him in the audience, have him cut a babyface promo, have him cut a promo against WCW, and then by the end of the show, you can have him swerve or turn or whatever you want to do. But gosh, I just think there's so much about this that could have been tweaked, and this would have been much more satisfying. Yep, I completely agree with all that. And on your point, Rory, about like sort of the failure to capitalize on just Paul White the guy and Vince's sort of old mentality of you've got to pay your dues and stuff the name is bad but like to me it's just like it almost feels a bit uh, like Vince is cutting his nose off despite his face in a way completely because it just reminds me of go back what a few well three four years WCW, they get Diesel. He comes in, he's Kevin Nash. They get Razor Maroon. He comes in, he's Scott Hall. WWF hit, they get the Giant. He comes in, he's Paul White. Like it just feels like Vince has sort of taken a move out of the WCW playbook, but it doesn't really work for how he wants to book. Like that's not necessarily Vince. Like he maybe would rather give this guy a funny a gimmick name like he 
he'd be more comfortable with that. And that name and the fact that he is Paul White, that to me symbolizes Vince sort of just, well, I'm doing to you what you did to me, like taking one of your guys and he's here and now he's got rid of that silly name, the giant, and now he's Paul White. Like, but that's not to the benefit of Vince, the Fed, or Paul White. And the Any whole point more- as well that Dollar the they were two twofold really why they were known as Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. They made absolutely certain that there weren't going to be any lawsuits. And you could take it about these were the two guys who were trying to invade the company, adding a bit of realism there. This just makes it look like Vince can't be bothered to think of a name for him. That's the difference. Yep, definitely. Um, It's not to the benefit of anyone involved, really. Um, Which I suppose in a way makes it to WCW's benefit, I guess. Um, Anything else on the main event before we wrap up our pay-per-view review? Yeah, just one more quick question. I um, when I was previewing this with Dan last month, I was in a way. Now I'm glad it didn't. But I'm saying that Austin McMahon could well have actually been, you know, the main event of WrestleMania. Almost forgetting about what we actually got. Could it and should it have been, or maybe the fe- was the February pay per view? You know, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but was February pay per view really the right place for it in the end? I think on the whole, it probably was. Eric, you tackle that one first if you if you'd like or. I mean, I, I think you can take this this new style of wrestling as, as far as you want. But at the end of the day, like to have a non-wrestler main event WrestleMania sets a really bad precedent mm-hmm. for me. And to have a non-wrestler who's 53 years old and owns the company main event WrestleMania for me sets an even worse precedent. And like at that point, you're, you're dangling really close to – the level of self-indulgency that we've seen in WCW over the past couple of years. And I think even Vince McMahon wouldn't be so brash as to do that. I don't know. Maybe he, who the fuck knows, but like, I think at the very least we have the, the, the sanctity and the, the, the protections of what it means to be in the WrestleMania main event, how that can, if done correctly, elevate both of those guys in that spot no matter who wins and loses and this company gets nothing long-term to have Vince McMahon take up one of those spots against Austin who doesn't need that spot to be the biggest guy ever. So I think the biting your nose to spite your face analogy would work perfectly if they were to put Vince in that spot over rock or Foley or somebody like that. So I think this spot here to kind of make what's otherwise been historically a pretty meaningless February pay-per-view have some chutzpah to it. I think it was situated well. For me, I, I would agree with all of that. Um, I agree with the the idea of the precedent being sent with a 53-year-old non-wrestler who owns the company, main event in the biggest show, uh, is bad. And, and like they did well to sort of big up this pay-per-view, which is traditionally a bad, like not, not the best for the company by putting it on this spot. But I just think there's there's a part of me and I'm not even willing to like go, go to bat for this. Like I, I, I don't really think it's a great idea, but I just think there's an element of this feud was, is, has been like magic in a bottle since the minute it started, like going back for over a year now, Tyson being there and that night and Austin, Vince screaming at Austin after the confrontation with Tyson and, I think there's enough emotional investment in the storyline and the rivalry between the two men that 
on this instance, you could have got away with putting this as the WrestleMania main event. Not this match, obviously, and with this outcome, not a seven-minute cage match like with the giant coming through the ring. No, no, no. But the, an, an Austin McMahon match would have been accepted by fans, and it, all the, the the downside of it, I feel like, would have been willfully overlooked. But I, I I'm not necessarily arguing that. They got it wrong by having it here. I just think that if you're ever going to have a non-wrestler wrestle uh, a non-wrestler main event WrestleMania, then if it's not Vince McMahon in an Austin versus Vince McMahon storyline, then it's no one ever, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But or I just Lawrence, think Lawrence Taylor, but we'll forget. Well, about that. yes, of course, um, yeah, of course. But uh, this this is the only time where I think I'd have been behind that idea. With that, we move on to uh, our guests giving their overall thoughts on this pay-per-view and a score rating out of 10. Uh, Rory, I'll come to you first. Yeah, um, from a wrestling standpoint, you know, I'm sure you knew this uh, before you started listening to this podcast. I'm sure you knew it before you started watching the pay-per-view. Very slim pickings indeed here. But again, this is the February pay-per-view, and it's one of those where if the big show in a few weeks' time... hits all the spots then nobody's going to be looking back at the end of the year saying oh yes but the leading pay-per-view wasn't very good so it's all really in a way the enjoyment if you like of this pay-per-view was all about is everything going to be laid in place for mania during the two hours and 30 minutes i'm sitting down watching it and i think that did happen it's not a show to seek out it's a show to listen about and know that everything's going to be okay when you do buy Wrestlemania in a few weeks time so in its own right for the wrestling or not we got for the questionable but just about the right side of okay booking uh, I'm going to give it a four but in a way this show perhaps more than anyone we've actually done it almost it defeats the rating system in a way because it's almost not really the point but for the sake of argument let's go a generous four out of ten Eric I don't know why you would ever, ever pay money for the February show in the WWF after the last two or three years. Rory says it perfectly. You don't need to watch these matches. You just need to know what happened. Um, and, and in some instances, you're better off not even knowing what happened. Um, and so I think on a, on a storyline level, on a listening to three dudes talk about it level, you know, the show is what it is. And it... it but it doesn't even get us to Mania because they still had so much to sort out with the world title the next night on Raw and, and, and everything else. So I don't think it, it quite checked all the boxes that I would like the February show to check. And if you factor that in with how just absolutely unforgivably bad two or three of the matches on this card were, how unforgivably boring the rest of some of those matches were and then just questionable booking decisions in the top two or three matches of the show i just it's going to be a long time before i watch this show again i think because it should be read about and not watched i I don't think you get higher than a three out of ten and that's unfortunate because in isolation the last two matches on this card were pretty good i just don't think they're going to matter long term unless wrestlemania is just perfect and then we can see the show as a conduit to getting there yeah, I agree with both of you. Uh, first hour or so, first few matches, 
on its way to being an all-time bad pay-per-view but ultimately by the end it, it wasn't it didn't turn into a good show but certainly by the end watchable but there's still questions over what we got um rock of mankind probably my favorite match um of the show i i, I mean i think i was torn between a three and a four so i'll split the difference to go 3.5 nice and easy 3.5 as the average for the show between the three of us don't go out of your way to watch this but uh certainly go out of your way to listen to us talk about it as you just have Raw opened with Shawn Michaels coming out, introducing us to the two men main eventing WrestleMania, Austin and Mankind. Uh-huh. We talk more about this on the main show, but Vince and The Rock both interrupt. Shawn ends up making Rock versus Mankind for the title in a ladder match for our main event. Jeff Jarrett versus D'Lo Brown is tossed out when Deborah and Ivory end up in a catfight. Deborah breaks a guitar across Ivory's back. Triple H is out. He says he wants a rematch with China and the big red retard. Shane, Kane and China come out and say there will be no rematch. X-Pac makes a challenge to Shane, and we are set for a tag match later. Val Venus retains his newly won IC title over Billy Gunn in a short match. Undertaker is out to talk about how everybody will fall before the Ministry. Bossman eventually comes out and challenges Taker. Shane McMahon and Kane defeat Triple H and X-Pac in a tag team match for the coveted WWF European title. Yes, that's right, a tag team match. China tosses Shane the belt, which he used to lay out X-Pac for the win. Bob Holly defeats Steve Blackman in a very short match to retain the hardcore title when Droz attacked Blackman. Bossman Shamrock and Test versus the Acolytes and Midian ends when the lights cut out and we see Undertaker has Shane. Taker gives Shane a letter to give to his father. In our main event, The Rock defeated Mankind for the WWF title in a ladder match thanks to the interference of Paul White. And Austin approaches Rocky from behind as we fade. Vince is out to hype the Inferno match between The Undertaker and Kane. He introduces Paul White to his book as the guest referee at WrestleMania. Rock comes out and tells White to know his role. Mankind comes out and offers to referee the Mania match himself, as well as a Rock vs White match tonight. Rock accepts and offers to put his World Wrestling Federation Championship on the line. In their debut, Public Enemy defeat Gangrel and Edge when Christian interferes for the DQ. The Brood beat them down after the match. Shamrock vs Billy Gunn goes to a no contest, match breaking down into a three-way brawl between the two men and Val Venus. The Rock tells Vince that fighting Paul White will prove his greatness. Sable is interviewed by Kevin Kelly in the ring. Sable invites her stalker in the ring, who introduces herself as Tori. Sable calls her pathetic and says she needs a life. Luna Vachon is out and says that Sable's looks are the only reason she is women's champion. Luna and Tori go to leave and Sable attacks with the belt. Double J and Owen Hart defeat D'Lo Brown in a handicap match after Owen pinned D'Lo with a spinning heel kick. We are set for Rock vs Paul White with Mankind as special guest ref. Vince tries to stop it, but The Rock is having none of it. Both men turn and attack Mankind. It's a swerve. Of course it's a swerve. Steve Blackman defeats Draws clean after a kick. After the match, Draws attacks Blackman and chokes him with a kendo stick. Goldust defeats Val Venus in a non-title match after the Blue Mini interferes to hit Val with a DDT. Bob Holly defeats Bart Gunn in a hardcore championship match after a masked man threw Bart off the entrance stage and threw a table. Your typical hardcore title garbage brawl here, with Gunn cracking a watermelon over Holly's head at one stage. X-Pac defeats China in one minute after Hunter hit China with a pedigree, meaning X-Pac will face Shane for the European title at Mania. And in our main event, and again we'll talk about this on the main show, Undertaker defeated Kane in an Inferno match before we had some mysterious shenanigans involving Taker, Bearer, Vince and a small teddy bear. The Rock's there, but Mr. Sacco in the front of the Rock! 
drama, the championship at stake. And Paul White, Paul White is here. Paul White, seven foot, five hundred pounds. He's got no time. Shark slam off a ten foot high ladder. That's it for mankind. So the following night, we had another big show, uh, which capped off three straight nights of WWF for our viewing pleasure. Uh, the show opened with Shawn Michaels introducing Mankind and Steve Austin, whom he calls the participants in the WrestleMania main event. Vince interrupts and he's wearing a neck brace, selling his beating from Austin at the pay-per-view. Vince books a, a rematch between The Rock and Mankind tonight because of the draw from the pay-per-view, and Sean makes it a ladder match. So we're set, and in our main event, Mankind defended his title in a ladder match against The Rock. Little fact here for you, first ladder match in Raw history. Steve Austin's on commentary, and he immediately demonstrates how wonderful he is by asking Cole when JR is back. <laughs> You can tell that both men are pretty beaten up from the last man standing match the previous night, but they still give it their all here. Uh, haven't got full play-by-play breakdown, but the finish of this historic ladder match comes when Mankind has Mr. Socko locked on Rocky on a ladder, but Paul White runs in and he hits Mankind with a choke slam off the ladder, which allows Rock to climb pick up the win and grab that WWF title, becoming the champion for the third time in no less than three months. Eric, I'll come to you first. What do you make of this ladder match? The fact that not even 24 hours after the, the pay-per-view, they, they switched the title. We had a Rock versus Mankind again. And uh, we seemingly have a direction for Paul White and, and Mankind at WrestleMania. Oh, yeah, I... <laughs> I was not as surprised that this is how this went. The the cachet of Austin versus Mankind just doesn't quite carry as heavily as the uh, as Rock versus Austin. I mean this this basically is the Hogan Savage of this of this era, right? I mean that's that's where they need to go. And unfortunately, if if Mankind's the next heel down the line, Hogan versus Jake was never going to main event WrestleMania or even SummerSlam, and that's just that's just fact. So. I really like where they're going here. There had been some talk in the sheets about doing a WrestleMania 10 type model, kind of a modified version where Austin and Mankind would have a kind of have a qualifying match to see who would face The Rock later on. I don't think you want to overexpose Austin. I certainly don't think you want to have Austin just beat Mankind uh, because that doesn't do really either guy any good. Um, I think just going straight to Rock versus Austin, which has always kind of been the main event, logical main event, is good. Um, and then, but then, where does mankind rest? And he's been, he and Rock have been going for so long. Are we going to have mankind versus the giant versus Paul White? And then, are we going to, Paul White's not going to job in that match, right? So then you're just going to have mankind lose to the giant at WrestleMania and completely devalue anything. Man, I just, there's a lot of uncertainty below Rock Austin, which is the, the right main event. Um, 
Did anybody else notice that the belt wasn't centered on the ring? Um, and that was super distracting. But otherwise, <laughs> this match was fine. And I think I think it ultimately gets us on the right track for a WrestleMania main event with a lot of questions uh, for the matches that are going to be directly below the main event, I think. Rory, over to you. Yeah, the belt was the belt was well over to the left hand side. It was barely hanging over the ring at all. I noticed, which is quite amusing. Uh, you said something there, uh, Chris, which I think is absolutely true. Where you said that these two guys gave it their all, and I think they did. It's one of those again where we all, everybody watching, knew what the finish was going to be. Uh, I did like how we got there you know, for a free TV match where you could have understood these two actually dogging it again. If both keeping score, this is match seven in three months between them. They you know, didn't hold much back. They, they were they were whacking each other big time. Some pretty big spots with the ladder. Now, they weren't half-assing it in there, and I wouldn't really have given them too much criticism if they had. So again, a big thumbs up for these two. I think it's just an example. They've really come to have some chemistry with each other. And so, I mean, I, I do, I think seven times in three months, I think we could probably afford to call this one, uh, call this one for a while now. But who knows? Maybe we'll go back to it again at some point in the future. So, Rock is the WWF champion. I thought it was quite interesting what Michael Cole said on commentary. Let that one hang. Get out the tumbleweed. Interesting, Michael Cole on commentary. I really do. Honestly, I really do. A stop clock twice a day and all that. Well, um, well he actually said when uh, the Rock reclaimed the belt, his, his exact words were, "The Rock is going to WrestleMania." And that is a phrase which has actually snuck in a bit over the last few years. Famously, when Sean defeated Owen at In Your House 6, you know, Vince with his usual you know, Michaels-induced orgasm, Sean Michaels is going to WrestleMania. And that was for him to becoming number one contender, so you could kind of understand it. And Vince is obviously hard on for Sean. Here was his rock actually winning the WWF belt, and that almost felt secondary in the eyes of the commentary team and the way it was presented as well. And I do think that's something to note, where almost being in the WrestleMania main event is <laughs> almost more important than defending it or winning it. I think that's something we need to probably watch going forward, where WrestleMania now becomes a name in its own right, and just being on the card is almost seen as some sort of something championship-worthy, if not greater when for me, WrestleMania or no WrestleMania, being the world champion should always be the ultimate be-all and end-all. But anyway, again, we've got to the Rock Austin, which we all really knew we were going to, probably from the very second The Rock locked on that sharpshooter at Survivor Series, really. We're there. I'm not particularly looking forward to the Mankind versus Paul White feud. No, I think, in a way, both people, in a roundabout way, deserve better, but we'll see what we get there. So, yes, we have finally, finally got to where we wanted to go. And uh, yes, I am looking forward to Rock Austin, actually. Played right, and I think we all know how it's going to end. But again, the 15, 20 minutes leading up to what will certainly be Austin lifting the belt, I think it'd be a lot of fun. So we went around the houses, <laughs> took the scenic route, but guys, we finally got there.
company to his knees. That bear is on fire. That bear is symbolic of what? I don't know, but I never thought I'd see this day. A bear in flames. Mr. McMahon lying on the ramp. What does this all mean? What does it mean? And we round off the month with another historic Raw stipulation as we get the first ever Inferno match in the history of the show. Something we were all clamouring for. As The Undertaker faced off against his brother Kane in this, the most fresh of all encounters. During the match, Paul Bearer gifted Vince a black box in which was a small teddy bear. And this seemed to really unnerve Vince, who stormed away. Uh, the finish of this Inferno match, which for the record went about five minutes, uh, came came when Kane missed a boot and his foot got caught in the ropes and in the flames. So Kane, in his specialty match, goes zero for two. After the match, Taker snatched the bear uh, away from Vince and set it on fire as Vince aghast screamed, why, as the show goes off the air. Eric, what did you make of this match and what the hell is going on with this teddy bear? So you know how in, in the late 70s, a lot of bands started kind of drifting towards some of those disco backbeats. And then like 78, 79, 80, you got some good records from the Rolling Stones. You got some good records from the Ramones, despite the fact that you were a little bit concerned about where the direction they were headed. That's where this Undertaker Kane nonsense was about the start of last year when they were doing lightning bolts from the ceiling and, you know, uh, magically setting coffins on fire. But now we're like the Rolling Stones or Aerosmith in like 1987, where it's just like this has gone completely off the rails and it's going to take a big course correction. I just can't, I just can't with this fire breathing magical, you know, demonic undertaker. And I was so pleased to read in the sheets this, this month um, that they've, they're doing a bit of a course correction because the undertaker's character is actually causing ratings losses. Um, it's, it's been tracked that people are turning off the screen when the undertaker's on because they don't like this magical bullshit. And so it seems like there's going to be a direction to moving the undertaker towards more of a, of a, of a, uh, a deranged lunatic or, a, or an unhinged like killer more than like a, a, a magical sentient being. And I couldn't be more thrilled because I can't stand shit like this. Rory, uh, your thoughts on the match, the bear and taker. <laughs> I'm so glad we got another Inferno match. We didn't have to pay for it this time. And they were still doing all the cheesy bullshit when everybody hits the big moves and the flames uh, shoot up in the air. Because of course that would actually happen. One for your year seven science lessons there. Anyway, I'm sure you'll remember that Bunsen burners, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, I don't want to talk about the Inferno match, obvious reasons. Uh, I want Good. to talk about Vince McMahon. He's turning babyface here, isn't he? <sighs> Looks like it's me. They're kind of hit. I mean, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but I was reading through the torch in the Observer before we went up here. Looks like that's where they got because the the Austin thing, at least for now, is completely done. So he did take the beat at the pay-per-view, as we say. And, oh, do I want to see Vince as any sort of face? I mean, <laughs> if so, his baby face acting needs work. I mean, it's, it, it was one of my favorite phrases. It was sub-Disney Channel stuff where he's looking at Paul Bearer saying, why, why, why? I just, you know, 
nobody is a bigger fan of Vince's facial expressions, his comments, anything he does than I am. But uh, this was definitely a step too far. Now, uh, Vince McMahon is no Rhett Butler, you know, so I really hope they cut that one off very, very quickly. Uh, a teddy bear on fire. Again, it's that's kind of the end of the end of the second scene in a horror movie stuff, isn't it? Uh, just before the we learn something more about the damsel who's going to be in distress. I don't know where this is going. I don't know where this is going. And I don't okay. care to find out. But it is. A, we're going to have. You won't be so lucky, Chris. You're going to. Uh, <laughs> but this is. Um. At the end of the day. Everything we talked about at the start of the show, everything the World Wrestling Federation you know, present these days, sports entertainment company, making movies, action adventure, whatever they want to call it, they are still, like it or not, a pro wrestling company. And their show coming out of the pay-per-view, the one which will be eventually leading towards WrestleMania, ends with Vince McMahon on his hands and knees on the ramp with his face lit up by fire while a teddy bear is being destroyed in front of him. <laughs> I, I can't square the circle. I, I, I really can't. I tried. I knew we'd be talking about this before we went up on air. I can't fit this this very round peg into a very square hole. I couldn't do it vice versa. I quit. My hands are up. I quit. I don't know what's going on. Question. What was The Undertaker's last good match? You may You may disagree, but I mean, I'd go immediately back to King of the Ring. I know you're you're not the biggest fan, but I love that match. So, but I, I, say, I, I, I will I will grant you it's not good in the in the typical sense. Yeah, yeah. I, not, I agree. I mean, I get gave it five stars famously. Um, I'm almost yeah. I'm not going to mention that one. Let's look at an actual match. I mean, a lot of people liked the Austin match at SummerSlam. We, Eric, we were on that show. None of us particularly did. Mm. Ooh, blimey. <sighs> Again, even something like Bad Blood v Sean. No, that was tremendous. But that was a a story. Are you talking in ring here? Then what we going? The breath of one night only, I suppose. Although ground, the, ground the zero point, is fine. Yeah, the point is like it's just getting to a point with the Undertaker where it's like, where's the? It's all hype. He's all hype. Yeah, I get your point. Like he hasn't had. A, I mean, okay, so folks, so yes, King of the Ring was extremely notable, and it, it, it does no, it, it does no justice to to dismiss that match but that wasn't a match that was a spectacle that and, Mick Foley carried 90 percent of yeah also eric sorry to interrupt that the i mean I, I mentioned king of the ring but ultimately that has less than what one percent to do with the undertaker and everything to do with mankind mick foley and what he put himself through on that night you could have had anyone opposite him and it wouldn't have taken anything away from how that went so yeah don't count you, that yeah, and then you go back to his feud with Sean, but like we 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 can't say that Ken Shamrock only had his good match because it was against Shawn Michaels without recognizing like it was because it was Shawn Michaels, who's one of the best workers ever in his prime before the back injury took him out of out of out of commission in late ninety seven, early ninety eight. So I would say that even if you give him that conceit, Undertaker hasn't had a good match since that Rumble match at ninety at Rumble ninety eight, and it's like. With this guy, it's like fuck, man. Like, can we just get a good Undertaker wrestling program and not all this nonsense? The guy can go. Just put him in there with someone who can work. Yeah, I, I'd love. I mean, 
my interest, like The Undertaker was a huge focal point last year in, and well, he always has been within the Fed. And like that storyline with Kane, like so much time, TV time, pay-per-view time was dedicated to that. And you could make a list of like your top five things of the year, but I don't think it would get anywhere near it. Like, and they invest so much time into it. And yeah, King of the Ring aside, because that has absolutely nothing to do with Taken, really. He wouldn't be anywhere near like a, a, a match of the year contender, anywhere near it, like for, for the last year. And in terms of like, it doesn't, I think the way you can sum it up is that the fact that you say he is a, a ratings loser um, for the Fed doesn't surprise me. I think that sums it all up, really. Doesn't surprise me at all. But that will bring to a close uh, this month's uh, WWF edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. So firstly, I'd like to thank Rory McNamara for joining me. Rory, great to have you on as always. My pleasure. We have just recorded our 199th show there, gentlemen. 199, the big one next. Volume 1 for for March, and uh, I think I know what one it's going to be. Yeah. Um, Eric, as well, thank you very much for being on the show. Excellent as always. Thank you. A pleasure to be here. And, you know, bad shows tend to yield better discussion, and I think that uh, that remains true after this one. And uh, just as a side note to the uh, to the listener, if you'd like to support this historical wrestling podcast venture, you can do so through Patreon, where for just uh, $1 a month, uh, you can have early access to all our shows and they'll be div- div- uh, delivered to you, excuse me, uh, as we record them. And uh, you can just say a, f- a small thank you that way but for five dollars a month you receive our monthly patreon specials um which are all out of timeline um we've been reviewing uh takeovers and matches sort of as a pay-per-view happens in modern day then we review like a few matches reviewed a few rumble matches in january and so on and it's it's a blast it's really fun to record and we do it as a little bonus for you and uh for five dollars you can uh listen in and get extra content and also say thank you for all the effort that everyone puts in to make this show happen and uh just to reiterate that this show will always be free the main show the coverage of the main promotions it will always be free but if you'd like to say a little thanks then you can do so at patreon.com slash wrestling 20 yrs and nab yourself some excellent extra content at the same time but to wrap this show up uh i've been your host chris white i'd like to say again Thank you very much for listening, and until next time, goodbye.